Hi and welcome to the podcast. This is uh, Tea with Alice. You are having tea with Alice and I'm speaking this week with Osha Ginsberg who is a sort of an amazing character. I've listened to his podcast for a little while. He's a very thoughtful guy. He's also a television and radio presenter and a really interesting person to talk to. I really enjoyed talking to him. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation I had. I'm currently in Sydney doing my short run at the Sydney Comedy Festival tonight and tomorrow night are the only nights that are left at the Enmore Theatre. And then I go to New Zealand for two weeks, which I'm a bit nervous about. I've never performed in New Zealand before. So if you know anybody who is in Auckland or in Wellington... Um, in the next two weeks, send them along to see Savage. It will be Savage in New Zealand, not The Resistance. So I'm going to be polishing off that show and and going back into the fire with that, which will be, I don't know, I hope good. I hope good. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who's been supporting me on Patreon. It's so lovely. It's really wonderful. It means that I, I can pay for my guests to have tea and and also I can pay to host the podcast which costs money you make it better I'm saving up money to get microphones um, and it will improve the sound quality immensely I did it this week on Osher's machine and he has the same zoom as I do but with the Rode microphones plugged in and I think you'll hear the difference so that's what I'm saving up for with my Patreon money um, so thank you for making that possible it's an amazing thing to do for me other than that, I'm in this sort of nervous state um, of going now from Sydney to New Zealand and from New Zealand basically straight to the UK uh, for a couple of months until Edinburgh and then after Edinburgh for a month or so. So it's a completely unknown quantity, that um, going overseas thing. And things here are just starting to sort of heat up. It feels like a weird thing to do to leave and I'm wondering whether I have made the right decision or not. All of those things, uh, that's a window into my inner life at the moment, which you probably didn't need. But thank you for listening anyway. I really appreciate it. If you don't support me on Patreon, uh, you can follow me on Patreon as well and just read the blogs and things. If that's something that you're interested in that doesn't cost you money, uh, you could also just uh, give me a nice review on iTunes. Uh, if you felt like giving me a nice review on iTunes or recommend the podcast to someone you think would be interested in it, it's not for everyone, uh, which means that the people who it is for, it's very much for. So thank you to you people. I assume you are one of those people. Hate listening would be a terrible waste of your time reconsider if that's what you're doing i'll see you next week you're having tea with alice all right we're rolling but it's your show Uh, hi and welcome to the podcast you're having tea with alice this week's guest is osha ginsberg who is a television presenter and personality and also (laughs) human being of uh excellent capacity and he's having a green tea an organic green tea from japan I'm having a fair trade green tea, slightly less fancy. That's really very good. That's well. a rather, rather good cup of tea. When I first started my podcast, I mean, as you do when someone comes into your home, because I usually record in my home, as you do when someone comes into your home, you say, um, sorry about the mic adjusting noises, everyone. Okay. Uh, you come, say, oh, can I offer you a cup of tea? So yes, you can offer a cup of tea. And by the time the kettle's boiled and the tea's in the, in the mug and da-da-da-da-da, you roll and you start chatting and then people start sipping. And the early days of my podcast... The vast amount of feedback was, could you please stop slurping? Ah, well, see, I uh, people like my tea noises. I've built it into the podcast. You can't really complain if you're 
if you're having tea with Alice as a, as a podcast experience, you yeah. can't exactly complain that there's tea noises. Yeah. If anything, you could complain if there weren't tea noises. Yeah, and in the words of Will Anderson, "Fuck 'em, it's free." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I do love I do love a cup of tea. There was a time when I first started my show that I was off coffee, and so it was strictly tea only. Um, uh, but then I I I was off coffee because I was trying to think. Well, let's see if I can try and manage anxiety a little better by not shoving myself full of stimulants every morning. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, it didn't make any difference. So uh, your body got, just does it yourself. I go. I got back on. The, I was just as anxious without it. So oh. I got back on the coffee, and everything was. Everything was much the same. Oh, but still, but there was coffee. But coffee made yeah. it better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I do appreciate a tea very much. So a tea. I have a tea. The first caffeinated drink I have in the morning is a tea. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I. I've crossed a threshold, Alice. I've crossed the threshold of uh, broadcasters that I never ever thought it would happen to me. I have a studio in my house. There's an ISDN line into my home. And every morning at five to six, I fire it up and I'm connected to Brisbane, hit 105, and I do radio in Brisbane for three hours as if I was there. That's wonderful. From that room over it's there. It's the power of technology. This it's extraordinary. but Amazing. It's a certain, there's a certain kind of radio person that they'll do that for. Because it's at some expense to put yeah. this sort of thing into your house. And I never, ever, ever thought it would happen oh, to so me. Oh, so it's a mark of, it of is. achievement Yeah, it truly status. is. It truly is. I didn't ask for it. Oh, even better. They offered it. That's. Um, but the, moral, the way I'm saying that is because I get up quite early to do the prep and stuff. Um, I can't run the coffee grinder and the machine and stuff because everyone's asleep. Ah. So but a kettle boiling I can get away with. Yeah, okay, so, so built into that is assumptions about the n- the making of the coffee as a relatively high-quality product. Yes, ma'am. I mean, it's not like No, there's no instant here. You have here. to do the grinding and the everything. It's not like you could pre-grind the beans or anything. As with, as with any addiction, the fetishization of the prep is very important <laughs> as a precursor to the hit. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why. Why? Um, so, yeah, a, a cup of tea first thing in the morning allows my adrenal glands to slowly be massaged to life rather than... Punched in the face with Yeah, straight defibrillator, you know, pow. Straight to your brain. Which can be difficult or awesome. Depending on what the purpose of the coffee is. Yeah. I can't can't handle coffee. It makes me too jittery. I I pity you. Oh, no, don't pity me. I really like tea. It's my my one... uh, Oh, tea's good. I love tea. But as... as, um, my father is quite the Anglophile. He um, uh, was the first refugee child born in a now free Western Europe after the landings in Normandy. My father was born on D-Day, 1944. Wow. Yeah, like two minutes after they hit the beach, basically. He, mum, his mum got a letter from Dwight Eisenhower saying, congratulations. congratulations, basically your child is born into a world that will never know war like you've known. Um, my grandmother ended up naming him Dwight, which he hated. Uh, he then changed it to Michael. But dad... Um, My father's name is Michael. Well, there you go. There you go. Dad... Uh, That's funny if you know that my crowd work is got to do with that. That your father's name is Michael. I say I don't do crowd work. All I ever say is my, that's my dad's name. And then I ask someone a question, whatever they say, I say, oh, that's my dad's name. Uh, uh, that's brilliant. My, mine is always whenever I find uh, uh, a, a particularly strange verb or combination of verbs... 
I say, oh, wow, you know, that was my high school band's name. Uh-huh. Like, annoying leaf blower. That was my high school band name. That's my one. Uh, but, yeah, Dad in 68, when the Russians uh, clamped down on the Prague Spring, where he was Czech, um, he escaped uh, as a doctor and he escaped the communist invasion and he made it to England and then he kind of really idolised English life and ways of life and tea was a big part of that. And my father, quite the connoisseur, he could tell, you know, notes and aromas and tints. Oh, I'm and not quite at that level. I'm, yeah. I'm big on Japanese green teas. Yeah, man. They're the best Been one. to Japan? I have been to Japan, yeah. I went to Japan on my way to America. I was in Japan for a month just to Sweet, kind of good move. get the balance. Yeah. Because um, I feel like they're sort of polar opposites in They truly ways. are. It's uh, an extraordinary cultural experience to go yeah. there. It's the first time I felt really alien because you don't recognise the writing as writing. It's yeah. So you feel very adrift. You don't real. I don't. I didn't realise how much I orient myself in the world with reference to writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's re- it's quite. I mean now, I mean I was what last year I was walking around the Netherlands. Uh, I loaned a pair of Google glasses from someone, and I was walking around the Netherlands with uh, Word Lens, the iPhone app. Uh, in one eye. Hey, Frank. That's, sorry, that's Frank. Frankie, my dog. Um, with word lens in one eye. And it was live, basically live translating Dutch into English in front of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did that, what did that do for your brain? Uh, it was a bit of a head fuck. Yeah. Uh, but what you're saying, the sense of being so isolated in a country city so populated, mm. uh, would be a thing of the past, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could pick up my phone now with word lens and scan it over a menu and read French or German or whatever. We live in the future. Yeah, we do. In in so yeah. many ways. But so what kind of what? Tell me about your tea in Japan. Oh I mean, it's your podcast, sorry. It's my podcast. Uh, we don't talk about tea on my podcast. We, we talk don't. About ideas. What do you want to talk about? Uh, do you have any difficult ideas? Things that you that take more than one sentence to go through because I think that's the problem now that we have that everything needs to be an elevator pitch everything does need to be an elevator pitch and podcasts are very good because people listen from the beginning to the end I think the difficult idea that I have is um, that I, I lived in America for a very long time and I saw the devastation that polarized politics have caused to that society not even that democracy that whole society the whole idea that you think this particular way about this particular subject therefore i will discount absolutely everything that comes out of your mouth your emails your tweets nothing at all i will believe yeah sorry and they just as if you were wallpaper and it is so dangerous to have that in a society, and you'll see now with the rise of Trump speaking in five-word sentences, I can fix this. I'm the only one that can fix that. Yeah. We've got a plan for that. We'll fix it. He hasn't got a fucking plan. Nothing. So when I see that arising here uh, more and more, it, it, it causes me great grief. And the art, the art of debate and the art of accepting reason yeah. um, and being reasonable, in fact, being humanist and being compassionate, one of my favourite videos is if you go back and youtube it up if you like it's um reagan Mm. and george bush herbert walker bush when they were up against each other for the republican uh nomination 
Mm. Reagan then took Bush as his vice president. And they're debating illegal immigration from Mexico into the States. No one's talking about a wall. No one's talking about deportation. They're talking about um, these are our brothers and sisters. We need to look after them. We need to show them they have a, a, a safe space here in our, in our country and um, we need to show them that it's going to be safe for them to declare themselves here. Then once they're here, we will reward them with the safety of what it is to be in America and they will pay taxes and pay their way. And that was the conservative answer. Reagan said something, I, I feel that there shouldn't be even a border. We should, you know, pay as well. We could double the size of our country. Now, these are the Republican candidates speaking like this. Yeah. All right. And see what we've gone in 30 years, right? It's terrifying how, I mean, I, I, the, way that, the way that society is at the moment or the two, the, everything's becoming binary. Yeah. It's not how the world works. Which is not how the world no. works. But you, then there's these extremes on both sides and I don't know which side... I, I am more frustrated by. Well, I think that the, 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 the difficult idea is the idea of how, it's a question, how can we be bring a sense of reason and respectful debate and um, permission to change your mind back into the decision-making at the highest levels of our society? That decision-making can, of course, obviously be... Uh, in, in the CEOs of mining companies who frankly have far more power than many governments in this country, um, that it's okay to change your mind and not be punished for it. Yeah. Like if Mal turned around and says, and I said I'd do a referendum, said I'd do a plebiscite, you know what, fuck it. Gay marriage is legal. I'm not even going to put it to a vote. You want to debate me? Go for it. Um, but it's what the people want. Go. Yeah. And then not have Labor turn around and go, but you changed your mind on this, therefore, how can we trust Mr. Speaker, this person here, who can't even get out of his five-level point pipe for fucking mansion? Fuck, fuck off. Yeah. All right. Good Hansard. <laughs> Good what? Good Hansard. I do my best. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, how can we expect a leader of this country to make decisions against type? against what their party line normally is if we don't if we go it's okay if you change your mind about that and i you know i've talked about this on my show quite a bit in that i vehemently disagree with john howard on a lot of things that he did You're if good you on guns though if if you go back and look at the footage have you seen the footage of him addressing the national party rally there's all this he's standing in front of about 2000 cronulla types Right, Cronulla riots types. All right, I'm sure if you live in the Shire, you're wonderful, but the Cronulla riots are a blot in our history. But full on racist holding signs saying Indonesia's going to invade Australia, you can't take my guns. Da 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 da. Like, and they're his voters, mm. they're his core base. And he is shouting at them, going, We have to do this, and we have to do this now. We don't have a choice, we have to get this done. And he did it. And they d debated it, they, shelled, they d tabled it, they debated it, they passed the law within 20 weeks of Port Arthur happening. Yeah. And that was the Conservative Party that did that. But I don't know if any Conservative leader would have the balls to do that. Nor do I think a, a, a lefty leader would have the balls to do something that is going to piss off a couple of greenies. Because it's, it's not binary. 
no, it's not binary. Uh, economic means are often the be- best way to get get things. I had a friend, a uh, family friend who used to work with Greenpeace and she got uh, she talked with the oil companies into into reducing their emissions over a five-year plan and she was run out of town by her colleagues because they said, how dare you compromise with these people? It's all or nothing, which is an insane position to have. That's not how anybody does anything. But there, and, 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 and on the internet as well, you have these two sort of very strong camps and I find myself torn between the two. One side, very rational, right? Very reasonable, very fact-based. But then, you know, their freedom of speech, for example. I believe 100% in freedom of speech. How can I not? I'm a comedian. Uh, and then these are people who... It's the equivalent of saying, I'm allowed to wear whatever I want. And you go, yes, of course you are. It's important to be allowed to wear what you want. And then they use that power to shit in a bucket and put on their head and wear it as a hat. And you're just going, why are you using that to do that? Like this freedom of speech, why are you using it to say those things? It's such a... It makes you look really dumb and you smell. Uh, and then the other side is is like when you're a kid and, and you know, when you figured out Band-Aids mm. and you're like, oh, I've got a cut, I'll put a Band-Aid on it. And then you're like, is that a cut? I'll put a Band-Aid on that. And everything becomes about trying to find injuries to, to repair. And then you lose... And both of those sides I really feel drawn to. Like I feel drawn to the idea of freedom of speech and, and, and rationality. And then you see what they're doing with it. And then you feel, I feel drawn to the idea of compassion. We should look after each other. But then you see what, how wildly sort of irrational that side is. I can't figure where out where in your I mind does freedom of speech uh, cross over into uh, violence against a society? When you're inciting violence against a society, right. I think it's a pretty okay. clear line. Isn't that it interesting that we, as 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 humans, as a race, were kind of born? And I was reading a study about this just this week, actually, that um, babies are born with an idea of a moral code. I hear a lot, and certainly in the states, people are like, if you don't go to church, I can't speak with you because you don't have a moral compass. You don't know which way is up or down because you don't go to church. No one's told you. Well, I I disagree, sir. I would say that we're born with an idea of what... What's fair and not. What's fair and what's not fair. And that's wild that this study... And it's as young as kids between like... Uh, kids like 18 months, two years old. Um, uh, I think the test is... It's really fascinating. They give... It's basically two dinosaurs on the table. And they say, this dinosaur has 10 stickers to give you. And this dinosaur has one sticker to give you. Who do you want to be friends with? Oh, that one. Because I get 10 stickers. And then the other kid is like, this dinosaur has 10 stickers to give you. This dinosaur has one sticker to give you. I have to tell you, though, this dinosaur took all of his stickers off of this one. And they go for the dinosaur with one sticker. That's interesting. And that's wild, right? That is. These are little kids. I'm talking, you know, less than 100 words. That's really interesting. Isn't that interesting? I think sort of what you point to with the, like, where's the line on free speech is the... Is the is where the problem's at at the moment because people say horrible things to other people and and they take advantage of power imbalances that exist in our society. Yeah. So a lot of the people who argue for free speech are privileged white guys. Mm. They say, you can't say anything that'll hurt me. You should be able to say whatever you want because they can't imagine words being wounding. And the other side sees the unfairness of that. That's not fair that you can say words that hurt me but no words I can say can hurt you. And then the reaction is stop them saying the words. The reaction should be reduce the inequality so anyone can say anything to anyone. This is true. Put everyone on a level and then we can call each other whatever the fuck we want. Yes. Because I, uh. 
and, and so you're, you're solving the problem that's the easiest and the closest and the most obvious problem, where the, that's not the problem. The problem is that a man calling a woman a bitch is not a problem if the woman is as powerful or more powerful than the man. So why don't we fix that rather than what about take when the she's word the prime minister the and there's ditch the witch behind? Then the problem is less, less the position of power of her as an individual than the position of power of women over, over, women, over, yes, over yeah. society. Um, I was speaking with Nakia Louie, the uh, actor and writer, um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander woman, and her line is, look, it's not, it's not racism, it's not equality, it's white privilege that we need to talk about, white male privilege in particular that we need to talk about, which as a white male uh, straight man mm. in his 40s, I have done nothing but benefit from my entire life. Middle class, sorry. Done nothing but benefit from my entire life. And if you are standing there in the House of Parliament shouting and screaming at, you know, the member for blah, 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 has no idea, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've never known life outside the walls of your grammar school. You've never known what it's like not to be you. I, I agree with that. And then I also don't. Yeah. I think privilege is the wrong way to frame it. Because, again, it's the easy way to frame it. Mm -hmm. It's easier to take someone down than it is to bring everybody up. Yeah. I don't think it should be a privilege to, to walk through the world feeling untouchable. I don't think it should be a privilege to not be afraid of the police. I don't think it should be a privilege to, to go to a good school and have a good education and have friends who can help you in society, in higher places, and people who look like you in positions of power. I don't think that should be a privilege. I don't think the solution to that is to bring people who have privilege down. I think it's to bring other people up. That should be the norm. Would you say, though, that the people of privilege have, not by their own want, they just woke up a foot from this finish line <laughs> and just happened to have 75% of everything? Yes. Now, how are you going to make it equal if you don't take a bit of that 75% away? We have technology now. Uh. We have enough food to feed everyone in the world yeah, now. Yeah, we really do. It used to be that if you weren't born into wealth, you would die of a disease. Mm. And and we don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to have the inequalities. Most of the inequalities that exist now are sort of in this ridiculously luxurious space above subsistence, which we all have. Mm. All of those kind of efficiencies and things that we've built in like the fact that women are in the workplace now is as as much to do with technology as it does to do with society. Like the invention of the electric loom so we didn't have to spend 70% of every day making cloth so that people wouldn't die. Mm. Like all of that stuff has made us so much freer and then we get to choose, I think. It's more discretionary now. The idea that, that wealth is a concrete thing rather than in an illusion that we've created. So, I don't know, spread it around. I, I should point out that I, I'm not arguing for, like, mass redistribution of wealth. Uh, maybe I am. Maybe you are. Not, not in a... I'm arguing for, like... Not in, in the, a revolutionary way. In I, the ultra-mega, exorbitantly rich, I'm avoiding all tax way. Yeah. Like, I often wonder, well, what's a company we can use for an example? Well, let's just say a big oil company, an unnamed humongous oil company, all right? An unnamed humongous oil company may suck their oil out of the land that we're all citizens of, mm. give us a pittance of uh, 
uh, royalty for that. Mm. But then to get that oil from wherever it is to wherever they want to sell it, all that infrastructure that uh, Australia's tax dollars have paid for, ports, roads, rail, and the upkeep of all those things, the medical uh, system that we have that takes care of their workers, all these things that the government provides for them, mm. many of the, you know, and well, it's no secret, that many of the, the largest of these corporations and certainly the people that run them pay less tax than like an apprentice level hairdresser yeah. and have like extraordinary uh, loopholes that they're diving through left and right to get out of it. Now, is that fair? That they've made all of this money using... Now, if I say, for example, if I invest in a company, all right, Barry's Oil Company, and Barry wants me to invest in his company, and I say, Barry, look, I can't afford to invest in it, but I'll give you the use of my road, which is my road from your oil well to my port, and I'll get you to use my port as well uh, for 10%. Barry would be freaking brilliant. I don't have to build a road, and I don't have to build a port. That's awesome. So I get 10% of all Barry's profits. Not if I'm the government. If I'm the government, I'm said, you're fucking lucky to have me. We'll take what you're given. And can I have another road, please? <laughs> it's true. It's true. The other thing I think that would be interesting if you could play out uh, model human lives is no inheritance. A model? If you could play uh, out, say, three, l just play with it for three generations and see what happened. No inheritance. You make what you make in your lifetime, whatever you make. No generational wealth. Yeah. That is fascinating. I don't think it would work. I think we have a very deep human instinct to protect our children and do what we can for them to put them in an advantaged position. But if you were, if you were stuck doing that in practical ways, educating them, giving them opportunities, and then making the world as good a place as you possibly could because you couldn't give it to your children directly, it might be an interesting game to play with society. There's that line, uh, Chris Rock, who is one of my prophets. Uh, he says, he talks about um, black people being rich. And he says, I'm rich, but there isn't a white guy in this room that would swap places with me. Yeah. And he said, now I'm rich, but I'm not wealthy. Shaq is rich. Shaq is rich. The guy that signs his checks is wealthy. Yeah. And he talks about, he talks about that and the idea that the, the wealth within um, certain elements of society is so cloistered and so un unattainable. There's a Supreme Court justice who just died in the States, Anthony Scalia. He was a right winger, never said a word. A took real piece of work. Real piece of work. I think he took something like in the last five years, he took something like 285 trips that he didn't pay for. The trip that he died on, uh, do you know about this? Uh, I know it was a hunting trip. Yeah. With whom? It was a, it's a, like a wacky kind of a private ranch in Texas. There's 21 guys. They all flew their own jets in there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of, the, what's the kind of the order of Saint something or other? It was started in 1680 something. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's an airfield on the property. Nobody drove in. All right. And uh, I'm pretty sure no ambulance or cop got called. They just put his body on one of his planes and... Out they went. But you are completely taking the piss if you're telling me that on those hunting trips when he's standing shoulder to shoulder with some bloke from some massive energy company trying to shoot a drugged up buck so it doesn't move too fast so we can get a clear shot away, he doesn't say, hey, Anton, 
You know, a pipeline we want to put through that little country? You reckon the military would sort us out? Yeah, I'll take care of that. Don't you worry. Bang! (laughs) But here's the thing. We're sold this lie that our vote counts. But we can't access that decision-making. We can't access that influence. No fucking way. The only people that can are the people of that tiny little piece of society that is protected by nepotism and protected by all kinds of shit. Yes, yeah. What have you put in this tea? <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is what I like. This is uh, the kind of thing I like. I, do you don't worry. This is what I think about when I'm handing out roses. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I don't hand out roses, but oh, she does. I uh, just count them. You just count the roses. Mm. Is it important to count the roses? Sure is. Because? The way we stack them, it's hard to tell how many there are. Ah, and it's been done wrong before or? I will reveal to you that I have got the number wrong. Oh, wow. What happens then? You have to shoot one of them. No, I have to go back in and say, ladies, I'm ever so sorry. I uh, made a mistake. It's my fault. I have said the wrong number of roses. There are actually this many roses, which means only this many of you are leaving. Ah. Yeah. I only happened once, season one. It's like a second rose. And now you count them very, very carefully. There's a, count, there's a recount. There's a count, there's a recount. Did anyone say rigged and throw the table over? <laughs> I'm yet to see a table flip in Bachelor, um, which I would like to see. I... Uh, one of my, in fact, one of my favourite uh, shows. Um, many people probably have that as their favourite show, House of Cards, the extraordinary uh, American remake of the British version of the show. Um, they tweeted. They often tweet as Francis Underwood, huh. right? They often tweet as, as Frank. And uh, seven hundred thousand Twitter followers. And I think it was the day that uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Um, uh, it was something about Indigenous policy. I can't quite recall. It's about three weeks ago. It'll come to me. Um, but he just basically just changed everything and said no to a bunch of stuff he said yes to before. And House of Cards tweeted, well played, at Malcolm Turnbull. They name-checked him on Twitter. If you don't like the way the table is set, flip the table. Because Turnbull's a renowned table flipper. He is. Yeah. Doesn't mind it. He, well, he, uh, I can't tell this story. Why not? I know somebody who worked for him who then worked for somebody else. Uh, Does that make sense? So I'm not telling you news you don't know. Yeah, no, I know that the the person who had worked for him who then worked for my family friend. uh, So you would have been able to... Rebuked my family friend for not having enough tantrums (laughs) because if my family friend wanted to be as successful as Malcolm Turnbull, they would shout in this way and have tantrums. Throw a few more tables. Scream down the phone and... Who wants to work with someone like that? I think people it's uh, I think people are really subject to that kind of I- I sense everyone's not sure if they're doing the right thing if they're doing it right. So if someone's having a tantrum, that means they're definitely sure about something and so that's a sign of at I least mean, certainty. Definitely unsure about something or unsure about how everybody else will feel about it. So they're just shouting to hopefully that people will listen. My tantrums are very slow burn, so I'm not I'm not good. I my kind of admire people who have tantrums. My tantrums just sit I just sit there. Do you? I sit there and don't say anything. Ah, cold. Yeah, that's a... It's not even a cold shoulder. It's a complete shutdown. 
I do that. Yeah. I, it's a, for, I was brought up Buddhist, so very conflict averse. Magnificent. How'd that happen? Uh, my dad was. <laughs> I tell this on stage, so there's, it's difficult when you get into a topic that you've Michael. already formulated on stage. Michael, my father. Uh, because then you don't know how to say it in a way that isn't the way that you've formulated as a joke. Does that make sense? You Are you telling me that stand-ups write everything beforehand, that you're not just <laughs> saying it out loud for the first time? I'm saying once you figure out the way to say something sort of perfectly and concisely, it's difficult to deliver it differently and yeah. then you don't want to do it as a bit. Anyway, my dad was originally Jewish. My mum was originally Catholic. Oh, then, yeah, yeah, the Om Shalom Brigade. Uh, they met and then my dad was also a philosophy lecturer, son of a Holocaust survivor. You can't really believe in God, can you? Uh, what, can would, you? what would Victor Frankl say about that? Uh, it's a difficult, it's a, di it's a, it's a big ask it to is. believe in an omniscient, omnipresent and omnibenevolent God uh, when you have no relatives. I work, with a, um, I work with a very religious man at the moment and it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Is he Jewish religious? No, 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 no. He's uh, clapping hands. Oh. Religious. Lovely guy. Oh. Loves his family. Lovely bloke. Feels completely safe. Mm. Because it's all going to work out, man. What should I be worried about? Yeah. I kind of envy that. Uh, there's, a, there's an envy to it. Anyway, so my dad decided to become Buddhist in, the, in that time. He, he was looking for the truth. He was a truth seeker. And then my mum... And he met and started going out and then she was diagnosed with MS at about the time that they found it and it really worked for them both. Ah. Gigi uh, considers herself a Buddhist. She's oh. 12. That's good. Because yeah. uh, at the public school she was going to, they uh, allowed them to tell you what religion they wanted to study. And <laughs> she's like, ah, oh, Christianity is really boring. We just sit there and colour in pictures of Jesus. So if I know how to colour in Jesus, if that's my test, I'm really good at it. But I don't learn anything. So she was ten when she decided this. She studied Buddhism. It's a good. It's a good one. She's a wonderful. I'm not. Kid. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm a little biased. I was brought up. No, no, no. That's okay. I mean, it changed. Certainly changed my life the first time I was introduced to it, and everything sort of made sense for the first time. I was 24. Went to a uh, Buddhist retreat up in Udalu, Chenrezig. It was great. That's where kind of really the vegan thing really kicked off too. Then on that trip, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, a lot of stuff made a hell of a lot more sense after that. Life got a lot easier Yeah. after that one. So I, I don't know how, but just like, you know, like concepts of loving kindness, you know, that the concept of um, how can I transcend the anger at someone who cuts me off in traffic into that poor person? I hope they're okay. Yeah. Because nobody wants to be that person. Nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants to be that upset that they're going to give me the finger. That must feel terrible to be them. Yeah. It's a horrible... It's and a not no, I'm better than them. Why? Just, a, oh, I'm so sorry for that person. Yeah. It's a good thing, I think. It's hard sometimes to have not had the chance to have tantrums. Because I yeah. sometimes I, I look at people particularly people who've got away with things. There's a particular comedian in the Australian scene who is constantly being forgiven for just astonishing, astonishingly bad things. And I what, like on stage stealing material or...? No, like criminal acts. Good and gracious, man. And, and just for me, it was so surprising. I thought I didn't even realise, because I never had a fight with my family... I didn't realise you could have a fight with a friend and then make up with them huh. until I was in my mid-twenties. I thought you had to not have a fight bec 
because I'd never seen a fight. I never knew, didn't know that you could have that and say things. And people say such unforgivable things when they're angry. And you're like, how do you forget those things? It's, it's, it's sometimes having to be responsible all the time is hard. <laughs> like I do sometimes just want to flip a table. Adulthood. What would you have loved to tanty about? Well, I mean, what what happens is <laughs> I have my tantrums in extreme slow motion, like... Over weeks? Years. <laughs> Someone <laughs> once told me that women weren't funny. Oh. And then about five years later, I quit law and became a comedian. This so is like the tar drip, exper- the Pete, uh, the tar drip experiments. Have yeah. you seen them? Yeah. Yeah, where they just wait. It's going to drip in it's 16 gonna dri- years. It's going to fall. <laughs> yeah. This is like that. Wow. Exactly. Or you put elastic bands around a watermelon, hundreds and hundreds, and then the watermelon explodes. <laughs> really? Yeah. If you put enough elastic bands around a watermelon, uh, it will explode. I'm going to go try that. But it like starts to bend for a long time and then like little bits of leak come out of it and it starts to like look like it's really under pressure. Uh, and then eventually... In a violent explosion? Well, no, not like a not not like shrapnel. It it implodes more than it's explodes. Because the Australian government could have really enjoyed that as a weapon. <laughs> Self-sustaining. I don't think you'd. Uh, I don't think you're going to be showing up at a hospital with like a shard of watermelon through your cheekbone. Um, be a pretty good story. It, it would. How did you get that scar? Oh, the watermelon wars of <laughs> 2016. Yeah, I lost a father. <laughs> but I got a lot of lycopenes. <laughs> It's uh, all good, man. It all comes around. Sorry, I'm having my neck nibbled by a cavoodle. Eaten by a dog. Yeah, he's such a little puppy, though. He's a good kid. He's fun. He's busy. He's, he's still figuring out how, to, how hard he can chew on uh, my fingers. That's yeah. that's a good experiment. Yeah. What's wild? Speaking of instinctual, what's wild is we read he was biting a little too hard and he was um, breaking the skin. Uh, if you make a yelp like a puppy, uh, he pulls away. And his body language completely changes. If you just say, ow, ow, stop, stop, he doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't speak it. English. Um, but if you yelp like a little puppy would yelp and then put your hand limp, he gives you a look of like, oh, my God, what have I done? I'm so sorry. And and he kind of stands back and he tries to figure it out. It's like, And I didn't teach him that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. We're born with a lot of really interesting stuff that comes within us. Yeah. Mm. It's funny how much people's personalities are fixed as a, as a twin um, you've, I'm extremely different from my brother and we were always very different. Mm. I mean, we get on incredibly well, but he's much more diligent and calm than I am. Oh, no, actually, that's not true. He's more anxious than I am. Okay. But he's more diligent. He works harder. Yeah. In a different way. I bounce from idea to idea and he's like... Yeah. not often you get a pause like that in a podcast. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> but nothing makes me more uh, afraid if you're doing like radio. I don't know. Have you done paneling? I assume you've done. Many a year. That's yeah, where yeah, you yeah, push yeah. the buttons and make all the yeah. and the CDs and stuff. Fire. But you're listening to a song and there was a, a fashion about oh, six years ago for songs that had like a second of silence in them. They dropped the beat or something. Yeah. And if you're not quite paying attention or you're on an all-nighter shift or something, yeah. that's the most terrifying thing in the world, that moment of silence. What's gone wrong? Yeah. What's gone I f- wrong? I've fallen asleep or on an overnight shift and uh, the only thing that woke me up was the emergency tape careening through the airwaves. Oh, wow. Yeah, with deep purple smoke on the water. We'd changed formats by then. 
but the emergency tape was tape was still nothing but great rock and roll. So <laughs> I w- I'd, I'd fallen asleep during an Ace of Bass song or Jules, um, Who Will Save Your Soul or something. And um, yeah, I woke up to Deep Purple. How long were you asleep for? I don't know. I don't know, 15 seconds. Oh, that's not long. It's an eon. It's enough oh, to get radio time. It's it enough to get called into the office on Monday. Oh, did so you? What happened to you, mate? What happened to you? It was ten past three. Oh. It was like on a Thursday morning or something. Did yeah. anyone notice? Yeah. It was engineering gets a phone call and the boss gets a phone call. Yeah, because there's automated things basically up at the transmitter that say we're off air. Um, just let you know. Oh wow. Yeah. Should have told them that something caught fire. Nah. No. Just said I fell asleep. No, I just fell asleep. Just fell asleep. I told them that. They were cool with it. Overnight shifts are brilliant for learning how to do it. And um, it's a real sadness that they don't exist anymore. There used to be one at every station in a market. Mm. Now you're lucky. Like I think Cap City, Sydney, Melbourne have their own. But FBI radio does. Still. FBI does, but um, Triple like J does still. Bris- yeah, but if you're in Triple J Brisbane, you don't do an overnight shift. You're in Triple M Brisbane, you don't do an overnight shift. They network. Oh. Overnight shifts are all networks. Those jobs used to exist all over the country. So someone was doing the overnights in Townsville, all right? Uh-huh. Not anymore. So there's no place for these people to do to be terrible and learn how to not be terrible. It's important to be it's terrible it for is. a long time. It's like the open mic of radio. That's the, I mean... You wouldn't have comedians if you didn't have open mic nights. It's as simple as that. No. You don't stand on stage a fully formed artist. You have to be shit as a a comedian for a really long time. And you have to eat shit every night for no fucking money. Which is why whenever I hear about a scandal where a comedian has said the wrong thing on stage, I always ask, what what kind of a night was it? If it's an open mic night, you're still trying to figure out what you're trying to say and how you're trying to say it and where the line is. Of course you're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Do you find in uh, in stand up in Australia at least that people are trying more and more to go down the Louis C.K. social commentary kind of route? There's always there's always a lead voice where mm. people are trying to follow, you know, a dominant voice. Mm. They say Bill Hicks ruined a generation of stand ups. <laughs> Because everyone wanted to be like him, but they didn't yeah. know he, they didn't have the thing that he had. No. And the thing about stand up is, to be good, you have to be good at you. Yes. Um, you have to figure out who you are and what's funny yeah. about you, which is hard. I'm not yeah. a particularly funny person, but I figured it out eventually. Um, the great thing I think actually in stand up at the moment is that people are coming to terms with the fact that when you say comedy, it doesn't mean. I'm going to laugh every five seconds at a fart yeah. joke. Yeah. Any more than saying, you know, I'm going to go watch some music means anything. What do you mean? Which, what kind of music? Yeah. What genre of music? So you can go and you can see one kind of act and it's a completely different experience yeah. from another kind of act. And that's becoming very slowly apparent to the audience. And you, you're less likely to get an audience member to w- walk into a show and walk out going, that wasn't what I expected. Yeah. Because they know that they don't know what to expect, yeah. Or they have a greater sense that there are these genres within comedy. And I've what's the thoughts inside the stand-up scene in Australia about um, Jim Jeffries and how he rose outside of the country? Uh, Jim Jeffries has st- stomped on a few toes. I know he has beef with some of the festivals. I look. I don't know. I've never watched his stuff. 
Uh, other than that gun rant that he did, which was brilliant, he's clearly got the chops. Uh, I, I hear that I hear that some of his material is sort of needlessly misogynist or shocking for the sake of being shocking, but you can't deny his success. So he's clearly good at whatever it is he does. I think there's a uh, I don't know I don't there's a, w- a way of set of of putting yourself up in the comedy scene by saying oh that's not comedy or that's not comedy or that's not good comedy. I don't necessarily agree it's obviously good comedy he gets nine thousand people in an arena yeah it might not be my style of comedy yeah but then nor is sort of thrash metal so yeah and i don't know how different thrash metal's got in the last 30 years either <laughs> that's a real sad thing about music someone asked me about music the other day um because i started talking about prince passing away if anyone's listening prince died last week um if you're listening to this in five years from now um and uh I got all these uh, messages in because I talked about it on the radio, and I got all these messages in going, "Man, you should do music again. You should talk about music again. You talk with such passion and such eloquence and such, you know, knowledge and da da da." And um, I, it made me think about, you know, why is it that, that that I don't do music so much anymore? And I don't. It's it's not only because at V when I was at Channel V and and when I was in you know m- music radio. I was just surrounded by it at all times and so I was able to find the things that I really loved and really resonated with within what was coming at me. It was spoon-fed to me. Now it's more of a case of I have to go out and find it. Unfortunately, terrible thing is, because I'm 42, I can he- and and loved music my whole life, I hear three bands that have already done it before in every song I listen to. Uh-huh. And it makes, well, I might as well just go and listen to The Cure's first record, mightn't I? Because that's, I know what I'm going to get. Why would I listen to this album by a band whom I won't name? Yeah. You know, or I should just go and listen to Gang of Four because you all just want to be Gang of Four. That's all you want to do. And no one can do Gang of Four like Gang of Four, so I'm going to have to go and listen to Gang of Four. And, and I think that's the big problem for mm. me is is music and and that to be honest no one's done anything really 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 different in music in a very long time not that's gone not that's come up through the charts no no like you think what what was the last thing that really uh, rap was the last genre that exploded out of nowhere like it wasn't there and then it was everywhere okay Mm. you might be able to say that dubstep came and had a huge like there was dubstep breakdowns in Britney Spears songs right dubstep breakdowns in Taylor Swift songs so dubstep kind of came in but maybe it's because I'm not really listening to so much of it but on the pop music we play on the show on my radio show it's great I love it but it's nothing nothing that makes spectacularly uh as far as genre wise nothing really new which makes me sad I didn't listen to any music for about a year after my mum died, it's too too much. Yeah, <laughs> too no, emotional. That's fair enough. I didn't watch your music. You know, I, I I've given myself. You know, how old were you when your mum passed away? Uh, it was last. No, it was October the twelfth, twenty fourteen. Oh goodness! So, so really, not very long ago. I've only just started listening to music again. Oh. Because it used to, I'd just sort of hear something, and it wasn't that I had to avoid music or block my ears yeah. if it was going on, but I just couldn't do that thing where you sit and listen to music. Yeah. I just it. It bypasses the rational part of your brain and goes straight to the emotions, and it felt at 
that time that it would be too much. Yeah. I was yeah. I, The way that I did my coping was maybe not the healthiest of just putting it in putting it in the show but in words trying to figure out how yeah. to, how to frame things and articulate things and yeah. control them in that way keeping it on that level of of words and yeah. even even poetry which is musicians borderline. have it really lucky because as a comedian l- let's say Jim Jeffries gun control bit right mm. Jim Jeffries is about to tour Australia is about to do 10,000 seat venues can't exactly go out and do a bit that two billion people have seen on YouTube like the Rolling Stones can play Satisfaction. Yeah. Comedians can't do that. No, they Com- can't. Movies. Tim Minchin can do that. Tim Minchin can do that because it's music. Yeah. All right. Movies you can watch over and over and over again. All right. An artist, you know, can't, he, can, he, he or she can, can paint a painting and you can appreciate that painting almost as new every time you look at it. But a comedian can't do that. But musicians have this this secret. They have this superpower in that they are essentially time lords. Musicians can transport you through time to the first time or the time that you heard that song when that song was around in your life, which is why, you know, um, uh, like when I hear that The Cure are touring, uh, last time they toured, they just played the new record. I'm like, no, no, Robert, no. Nobody, nobody wants that. Play the hits. People want to hear Hotel California, man. Just play the hits. Yeah. Just turn up and play the hits. Like I heard that Roxette toured about three years ago. Oh. And you know Roxette would have just come out and go, we know why you're here. Here it comes. Let's go. <laughs> and then you get one sort of self-indulgent thing that you're allowed to do in the course of the concert. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but the rest, I mean. That's when everyone goes and gets drinks. Who doesn't want to just go and see. And Iron Maiden are always very much like, no, we're not a nostalgia brand. We only play what we want to play. Just fucking play Run to the Hills, Bruce. Just play two minutes to midnight. Just give us the hits, mate. Give us the hits. Bring Eddie out on stage. Make Eddie go away again. Fire off some cannons. We'll all go home. Well, those things, I mean, all of the brain neuroscience stuff about music and music that you've heard at particular periods of your life that fires off, you know, endorphins and dopamine and oxytocin in the kind of drug level responses in your brain. Yeah. David Lee Roth uh, has a a fantastic line about... um, I mean, he started talking about a tape deck, but then, you know, obviously CD in your car or could even apply to, you know, just a phone, a song in your phone is that whatever's in the charts at the moment, pick one of them that Mm. you can stand and just leave it in your car as a CD or that's the song that plays when you're in your car and change it every month. All right. So that song becomes the benchmark of a particular time in your life. And it allows, because of the way memory works, it's very interesting. It allows you to kind of demarcate points of that year. Through the song. All right, through the song. And so when you hear that song, you're like, hey, that was like a three-week, four-week period of my life when I was doing this particular thing or I was doing that particular thing. And then when you, you only need about 20 listens to the song to really burn it into your brain. I've got that right now. I'm very lucky that I have it in this uh, radio show that I'm doing at the moment. Oh, because of the the hit songs. Yeah, I'm hearing the hit songs all the time, which is great. It's interesting. Memory stuff is really interesting because I have yeah. a playlist that I play before my show. Mm. And I also, for the first time, I did, did the show 24 times in Melbourne in the same room. And then I am now doing it in a new room for four nights. I did last night was the opening night in this new room. And I always, it always happens every time, but every time I'm struck by how much I remember the show by where I am. Mm. And so on a new stage, all of those sort of mnemonic triggers are gone. Mm. 
I've sort of counteracted it by having my set be a picture of the house that I'm talking about in the show so I can put my hand on it. Mm. Uh, and that's my kind of remembering where I am in the show. But, yeah, just that the light strikes you at a different angle and that the audience member who is in the front row at that point that you direct yeah. that to, they're actually over, you know, three There's inches to the left. It. There's a name for it. It was the Greek, the Greek philosophers did that. There was, there's a name for it. I can't remember the name of it. But that's how they would remember these six-hour-long orations is they would um, uh, basically picture themselves walking through a very familiar place. And uh, that's how I remember three pages of dialogue on Batch. Um, the memory palace, they call it. Yeah, now. that's it. That's the word, yeah. Uh, they used to shout at the ocean, those men, as well, to because they would... They were, they were not amplified, so that part of the job of being a public figure was having a really loud voice, just being a good good at shouting. So they'd deliver their orations to the ocean. Wow! Uh, to get the strength up, shouting against the ocean. I'm gonna have to make a phone call That's about right. what we talked about before. Can we pause and can yeah, we come back? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, what were we talking about? That's a good question. Stand up. Stand up the world. Time travel. Time travel. David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth. Well, I, uh, I'm i actually happy. I feel like we've had a good conversation and we've almost got to an hour. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Where can people find you online? That's pretty easy. Just Google your name. Yeah, osherginsberg.com. I tell you, but if there's how, ever anything... How do you put an ooh with an umlaut? You don't have to put that in. But if there's anything that you ever don't like about yourself online, mm. change your name. Because then all of the meta searches point to the new stuff. It's oh, that's great. really interesting. It's so good. Was, so there was a part of your life that you weren't, you just didn't want attached to you anymore? Oh, there was a few things on the internet that weren't exactly real or exactly true, but they were the top hits. Oh, I see. That came up on me. The way that Google works. And I was like, oh, that's no good. People go for a job. I'll go for a job and people Google me and that's the first thing they see. So. That's Really interesting. Yeah, so, you know, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Snapchat. Snapchat. I've got a podcast. Snapchat's really interesting. I love Snapchat. Mm. It lets you say things the way that you would say them rather than worrying about, (laughs) rather than (laughs) worrying about uh, what it's going to look like in a, reprinted in a, in a a newspaper article. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Although, uh, there's no guarantees. I wouldn't put anything on Snapchat that you wouldn't be happy seeing on the front page of the... Yeah. That's what they said when I worked at the law firm in our orientation. Don't put anything in an email that you wouldn't want seeing on the front page of the Herald yeah. the next day. Yeah, that's true. And that uh, is true. Um, no, I'm, I'm online and I really enjoy... What I've always enjoyed about uh, radio... And I remember this when I was in my early 20s when I was um, working in radio. What I really enjoyed was... The fact that I got a chance to speak to parts of society that I would never otherwise get a chance to speak to. I went to an all boys Catholic school. Mm. All right, all I I'm only one. Of, I'm one of brothers. I don't have I don't know any women. All right, uh, except my mum. Mm. Uh, thankfully, the 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 woman that eventually took my hand is a come on. I'll show you how you can actually be a grown up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me wipe some shit out of your eye and wipe your nose and come up here. Um, oh, women are people too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it took me a while because I didn't know any better. And I'm happy to say that, that I needed to learn. But um, I would only ever really speak to people that I either work with or went to school with. 
all right, mm. or from my close to my socioeconomic status. When you work in radio, you get a chance to speak with people from right across the spectrum, and you get to hear about their lives, hear about their day. Same when I worked at Channel V, I had this opportunity to speak with um, people from all over the country. And now that I do my podcast and I have the, you know, this email address and this, you know, if you have a smartphone, I guess it's self-selecting. You have to be able to afford a smartphone or an internet connection. But at that point, um, you are able to, we're able to get, get in contact, we're able to talk to each other. And I yeah. find it just so fascinating, finding out about different people's days and different people's worlds, different people's lives. And, and that, I guess that's my hope is that as we move forward that the more we find out that, you know, there's that old headline they always put under someone, a celebrity shopping in their track pants. They're just like us. Well, guess what? Everybody's just like us. We're all exactly the same. We want three square meals a day, somewhere safe to sleep at night, and we want our kids to do better than we did. That's it. That's it. Anyone, or anywhere over the world, from the people packed into a boat trying to get, you know, from North Africa to Greece to, uh, I don't know, someone living up the road in Vaucluse or everybody. Everybody just wants the same thing. And that's it. That's all, that's all there is. And one, the sooner we realise that... And that it's not going to do anything but make us better and feel better and be happier if we help giving that to everybody else. Life's going to be great. I agree. That's a good. That's a good note to end yeah. on. Thank <laughs> you. You're having tea with Alice.